Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Weber 2.0 podcast, a special edition of the European Talks, the only podcast focusing on the EU integration of the Western Balkans region. My name is Milo Zinjic. I'm program manager and senior researcher of European Policy Center, CEP Belgrade, and lead researcher of Weber 2.0 project. For a chat today about how important it is to have professional and depoliticized civil service, and what lessons can be taken from the EU member states, we are joined today by uh, Professor Jan-Hinrik Meyer Saling, Professor of Political Science at the University of Nottingham School of Politics International Relations, whose research and expertise cut across the areas of comparative politics, public administration, public policy, and international development. Professor Meyer Saling is also a member of the Weber Project Advisory Council. So hello, Jan, if I may. Yes. And uh, hello, Milos. Thank, uh, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. It's a great pleasure um, that I may talk to you. Thank you, Jan. Welcome to this episode of the Weber Podcast, and we are more than happy to uh, have you on board for uh, for uh, this conversation. So, Jan, uh, as someone who has uh, led and participated in a great deal of academic and policy research in the area of civil service. Um, let me start off this conversation with your view on where the civil service reform and professionalization stand at this moment in the Western Balkan region. And perhaps we can also give a reflection on the reform experience in, the, in some of the newer member states since, uh, since uh, civil service reform and public administration reform in general is important for the uh, EU accession on the Western Balkans. So, uh, so please give us your thoughts. Thank you, Milos. Um, that's obviously a really big question to start with, no doubt about it. <laughs> it um, but uh, it's like that, the overall question, right? Now, but thinking about it, uh, the Western Balkans, I think, uh, in terms of civil service reform and professionalization, if you compare them to the countries that joined the European Union in 2004-07 and then Croatia in 13, the Western Balkans are, are legates, right? They're reform legates. But I think it's also important to recognize that they have um, um, they have caught up over time um, and they have also made significant progress. Because I think, if you don't mind me going back a bit further, um, in 1989, 1990, after the collapse of communism, you have countries like Hungary that embarked on civil service reform early on. Uh, you have countries like Poland, some of the Baltic states, Estonia, and so on. They they started with their reforms in the mid-1990s, actually before the European Union appeared on the radar screen and before accession became a really serious prospect. Those countries that had not moved early in the 90s, they actually then reformed the civil service in the context of the accession negotiations and the preparation for accession. So Lithuania is a good example, uh, Slovakia particularly, but also Bulgaria and Romania in the late 90s, early 2000s reformed the civil service. Now, um, this means that by the time those countries joined the EU in 2004 and 7, they actually all had the basics of a professional civil service in place, namely a law and the institutions that establish a merit civil service. Maybe the Czech Republic is an exception there, but uh, interestingly, like some 10 years after accession, they also passed a, a proper law to professionalize their civil service. So now if you compare this to the Western Balkans in the 1990s, there was no progress. Right, because this was the period of the uh, wars for Jugoslav succession of Yugoslavia. 
Um, so clearly there's a decade that is missing. I mean, the, the reforms in the Western Balkans start literally in 1999 when Albania passed the first civil service law. I mean, Albania had actually passed something in the mid nineties already, but it was never really implemented. So the civil service reform story in the Balkans starts 10 years later, you could say. Now from 1999, you have those countries like Albania, Macedonia, North Macedonia now that uh, passed legislation quite early on in order to catch up with the new member states or then still accession countries. And uh, but then again, you have a second wave in the mid 2000s, Serbia, Montenegro. I mean, you could add Croatia with qualifications there uh, that passed the reforms with the support of the European Union. I mean, often in the context of the cards programs. And the last country that um, that jumped on this kind of uh, bandwagon, you could call it, was Kosovo after independence. Then in 2010, they passed their law as well. So you have a decade, the 2000s, when the countries, um, you know, put the basics of civil service reform and professionalization in place. And you could say that by then, 2010, they had a kind of caught up with the basics that the new member states um, had put in place uh, a decade earlier. Then you probably have a period of reform stagnation. And I remember very well, I was doing, I wrote with Sigma, the report on the sustainability of civil service reforms in new member states. And this was in 2007, eight, nine. And we were very concerned that reforms were reversed in the new member states at that time. And um, uh, Bob Bonvit, who was then the, the head of Sigma, came back and said, well, I mean, we need to make sure when we look at the Western Balkans that reforms will be more sustainable because they are catching up there. But, you know, what if they are rolling everything back in, uh, in a short space of time? So we started to do this uh, research on civil service professionalization in the Western Balkans, and that led to the Sigma report in uh, 2012. And what we could see is that Yes, they had caught up, but in fact, now reforms were stagnating and sometimes countries were sliding already a bit backwards again. Um, and they were reinterpreting the, the European principles of administration just a way to make them fit uh, their own um, uh, preferences. Um, so you had like a good period of five years during which I think not so much was happening, um, but the European Commission and SIGMA, I think, responded very well to that because in, what is it, I think 2014, you have the principles of administration that Sigma published. I mean, this, this huge document. And I think that really helped to refocus the reforms again in the Balkans. Then you have, of course, the European Commission uh, and the fundamentals that were published, I think, in 15 or so. So you have a time when reforms generally, but especially in public administration and civil service in that area, were kind of restarted. So I think if you look at this period from 14, 15 until, well, certainly recently, uh, until the outbreak of the pandemic last year, maybe, I mean, from my point of view, there has been, again, progress, right? I mean, it's not been like the huge leaps forward, like in the 2000s, but, but you certainly have incremental progress across the region, maybe with the exception of Bosnia, where relatively, you know, it's been, it's just simply much more difficult to, Let me to just, uh, get changed interrupt you here yes, for a second, course. if I may. So looking back uh, in the past and these different trajectories that we had, yeah. now, both in the newer member states in the Western Balkan now, and the reform reversals and the stagnation, and then the incremental improvements um, that happened relatively recently due to the boost of the Commission and the Sigma. Yeah. Do you consider that uh, sustainability of reform is still quite low at the moment? I remember uh, one of your papers that was uh, 
I think from 2012, said that the prospects for uh, basically achieving professional civil service is uh, quite pessimistic in the Western in the Western uh, Balkans. Now we are 10 years from that, let's say, mm. from that paper. And in the meantime, we had this new development, Sigma Principles of Public Administration, that the European Commission basically yeah. uses the uh, assessments that Sigma uh, makes for uh, for uh, uh, reporting on progress in the Western Balkans, etc. Uh, do you think that this still holds that sustainability is low and why is that and uh, by the way is politicization in this story really uh, a problem when we speak about mm. yeah. uh, reform sustainability yeah these are actually really serious questions i mean i i, I agree with you so i mean i I mean, I think maybe you could say that the picture that I painted for the last five years was a little bit too positive. I'm not sure whether <laughs> this is what you wanted to say there. Um, but I think, you know, there's often there's a lot of criticism that is directed at the region, at the countries. And I mean, I think we can, you know, much of it uh, is probably justified. But but I think it's also important to recognize that there has been incremental and actually important progress in the last few years. Right. But I take your point. I take your point, Milos. Um, you know, you talked about sustainability, you talked about politicization. I mean, you, you mentioned two big issues. I mean, thinking about politicization, um, clearly, I mean, even though there has been progress, I mean, the politicization of the civil service remains a serious issue in the region. Yeah, I think this is this is out of doubt. I mean, we have enough evidence for that. So um, if you think about, so when we think about politicization, we think about political appointments, yeah? and political interference with uh, recruitment, promotion, and dismissal decisions. So uh, clearly, I mean, uh, often political appointments are very prominent at the top of the administration, right? The, the, the senior civil service. If you look at, yeah. at Serbia, where you have the opportunity to make, uh, uh, to appoint acting managers. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a large proportion and these are political appointments. Yes, we and know, not only, and not only. I'm sorry to again to yeah. just to add. Not only yeah. in Serbia. So in a Weber project that is basically a civil yeah. society monitoring of public administration reform, we have new report Power Monitor for 1920 that says when it comes to uh, politically motivated appointments, we have all or almost all senior civil servants in North Macedonia, Montenegro, and Serbia uh, yeah. being appointed without uh, competition. Without any competition. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, clearly, it's a region-wide problem. There are probably some some variation across the countries, I would assume. And uh, there's more volatility and more turnover in some countries than in others, uh, for sure. But I think what it indicates is that even though there are efforts to establish uh, merit recruitment procedures for the general civil service and for the senior civil service, at the end of the day, the implementation often then is, is lacking behind. Yeah, and, and clearly, if you think about politicization, um, I mean, that is a problem for the overall quality of the administration and for um, what the outputs that the administration produces, right? So it's, we, we have a lot of research on that. I mean, in the context of the, the DFID funded project we ran in 2016 to 18, we could show, I think, quite well that uh, politicization is associated, you know, first of all, with less work motivation, less public service motivation, and ultimately with uh, less ethical behavior in the civil service. So um, I guess there is some question of whether you want to allow for a certain uh, political interference at the very top of the administration. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, the, the state secretary position or general um, secretary position. Uh, but below that, it should be largely autonomous from political interference. And I think what we see in the Western Balkans is that, yes, at the top, there's plenty of interference. But further down, there's also often interference, either because it's creeping downwards or 
because uh, um, you also have uh, political connections that are important when it comes to the recruitment of you know people in in, in lower ranking roles, right? Um, so clearly, I, I can see that problem, and it means that um, yes, is the glass half full or half empty, right? I mean, that's a question you may want to ask here, um, but I do think that if you if you uh, focus on the incremental progress, yeah, and say, well, as we are improving the regulatory frameworks, yeah, of the civil service, and we are plucking the gaps that are still there, um, and as we are improving the implementation by just building up the capacity to implement those laws, I do think that the scope for politicization will at least be somewhat reduced, right? I mean, it's not going to be plain open. And I mean, let me just give you a couple of examples there. I mean, take Serbia again as an example. Until a few years ago, Serbia didn't have entry, compulsory entry exams. Yeah. I mean, it was plain evident that there was a key feature of a professional merit-based civil service that was lacking. It was just not there. Um, and uh, there was the amendment, I think it was in 18, 19, uh, 18. Um, and, and so if you now look at the um, civil service examination that Serbia has put in place, then it is one that, you know, clearly fits a lot of key criteria and in many respects it's more advanced than what you find anywhere else in the region yeah um how well does it work in practice well i mean it takes probably a few years to make it work well right but by having those kind of merit exams in place you clearly reduce a little bit the scope for political interference further down the um, the hierarchy yeah well, basically you uh, what you're saying is that uh, some countries in the western Balkans, such as serbia may have a regulatory framework or laws that are uh, have higher degree of fitness with European principles, maybe, than some uh, countries that are already member yeah. states, right? But we come to this problem, which you are also mentioning uh, a lot yeah. in your work about the lack of rule effectiveness, basically meaning yeah. that what you have adopted is uh, hardly uh, implemented in practice or yeah. just takes time, Abs right? Absolutely, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. So I think if what you say about Serbia, I would not want to make the argument that that regulatory framework is much superior to others in the region. I think the That's point important. I wanted to make is that there was a major gap mm -hmm. and, okay. and that gap actually has been plugged, right? Um, and it, they are in the process of also sorting out the implementation. So, um, and, and you can look at other countries, you have similar issues, often you have certain gaps there. And um, I mean, senior civil service appointments in Macedonia, I mean, there are now efforts to, to um, address that issue as well. So. There are lots of those kind of examples, but the issue about rule effectiveness that you um, bring up is, of course, very important. So, I think here what is what we what wasn't appreciated for the first enlargement round in two thousand four and seven. At that time, we thought, okay, if you have a civil service law, everything will be fine. Yeah, but it wasn't. Um, and for the Western Balkans, I think there was the understanding. I mean, certainly when we did this research in in the early two thousand tens. It was clear that the problem often, you know, is really the rule effectiveness. It's it's just the, the the quality of implementation, and I think it tells us that rules on their own might not really do very much, not right? Enough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and so I think this incremental progress that has happened over the last few years has often targeted um, the capacity to implement civil service uh, rules and regulations. And as a result, to increase the effectiveness of those rules, yeah. And I mean, maybe, maybe just to give you a couple of, of examples from the region. So yeah, and I it would be good maybe to yeah now to, to speak about the examples and maybe yeah. uh, to see if there is some uh, 
actually a positive example in the in the in the overall picture that is uh, oftentimes uh, gloomy or it seems that there is not much uh, advancement so if you can give us maybe what you think is a good example uh, that you would single out in the yeah. region here or maybe from the newer member states yeah. so uh, maybe uh, you know something we can also learn from yeah. here uh, in the region yeah. Yeah. well i'm happy to start with the region itself so i mean i think clearly that over the last few years i mean the the um, reforms that have been passed in, in Albania have been uh, definitely, uh, they are really cases of good practice, right? I mean, they really uh, demonstrate an, uh, considerable progress. Um, and here you can go back. So there has been a period in the mid early 2000s, you could say, um, uh, when, um, sorry, like from roughly 2005, 6, 7 until 2013 or so, when there was plenty of stagnation and people were worried that things were moving backwards. Um, but um, Albania passed already, I think, the new law in 13 or so. So there was a just even before, you know, Sigma started with the, the new principles of administration. So they reformed the regulatory framework in order to reduce opportunities for political interference. But in the last few years, what really happened there is that they, they build up an infrastructure uh, in order to make those um, civil service rules work. Yeah, so, and if you think about it, you have, a, it's the Department of Public Administration that is in charge of it. Um, they have been moved to the prime minister's office you know, chancery, I think it's called. Um, so they are centrally located. Uh, for some time, there was a minister uh, heading um, that branch. Um, and, and so they, they had kind of stronger political support, you could say. Um, the department itself was, was uh, built up with more personnel. So you have a, it's relatively large. Um, you have a lot of expertise there, a lot of young people full of entrepreneurial ideas and initiatives. And, and so from then onwards, you have uh, the introduction of digital recruitment techniques, right? So everything has been digitalized by now, um, uh, which, of course, you know, modernizes it, makes it more user friendly when you want to submit your application or when you mm -hmm. want to do an examination. Um, it makes it more transparent, reduces discretion, right? So all of these are professionalization efforts. On top of that, you know, they they have been very proactive in, in developing guidelines. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go to their Facebook uh, page, you have guidelines for applicants, how to apply, you know, what to do. You have videos, you know, you have PowerPoint slides. So it, I think, means that it's become for the outside applicant far more professional and far easier to interact with the civil service. It's no longer this kind of black box where everything is fairly cryptic and you wonder what's going to happen here. And I think this yes, has had a huge impact. You know? And basically, uh, you're saying that they started by building a central civil service management infrastructure, right? You could and say so, yeah. With with people that uh, sort of had a, a vision or were innovative, right? And then from that, uh, reforms continued to the um, yeah. actual practices when it comes to recruitment, yeah. when it comes to uh, how I, I, I don't uh, think I don't think competitions. I don't think they started with a big vision. I mean, maybe they had it. I mean, <laughs> it's possible. But I, I think, well, probably there was a vision, of course, right? I mean, to to have like a professional civil service and to modernize the civil service. But I think there's also an element of experimentation, right? An, an element of, yeah. of trying out. Um, sure. and, and often it's just a matter of, um, you know, just being willing to to try out something, go for it and, and see, you know, how it works, you know. Well, that's, uh, you, that's you see this in your own job. I see it in mine as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if yeah. you just wait for someone else to tell you um, what to do, then it can take a very long time. It might not be very good either. Yeah, I guess that the experimentation is one uh, maybe... Uh 
important, uh, you know, uh, takeaway message for for uh, for uh, someone who wants to uh, uh, do this uh, reform. You have to try, right? Yeah. And uh, what about the uh, EU member states? Let's take, you know, some example from the uh, yeah. countries that have uh, joined in 2004, maybe. So what, what do these examples tell? Uh, well, I mean, I think here we can, uh, we have very different trajectories, right? So uh, on the one hand, if you go back to 2004, you have the countries like uh, Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, that, uh, you know, either stopped the reforms or started to roll them back. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have the, let's say, uh, good cases, which were mainly the Baltics, right? So in Estonia, where maybe you know, initially there was not too much happening, but so they started, for instance, to build up the senior civil service, right? Um, there are some, some excellent examples from, from Estonia. Uh, Latvia as well. Lithuania uh, had a very strong civil service department at that time in the Ministry of uh, Interior, which, you know, then, then moved. But so um, you, you had three countries, certainly in the north, that gave us the impression, ah, okay, um, you know, it, the end, I mean, EU accession does not necessarily lead to a reform reversal. Actually, some countries continue and continue uh -huh. to invest in the civil service. Uh, and if you look at why this was the case, I mean, I think for the um, countries in, I mean, Central Europe, uh, Slovakia, Poland in particular, you could say, well, the EU and SIGMA, European Commission and SIGMA, I mean, once those countries had joined the EU, they just didn't really play much of a role in civil service reform and generally public administration reform anymore. I mean, it was just minimal because there was a little bit of support through the ESF, you know, the European Social Fund for administrative capacity building. Um, but that was at best, yeah, it, it was just not really a, a consistent and coherent uh, reform program and an and effort to support those countries to build their administrations. Um, so the EU basically stop being a player, you could say, yeah? And for um, Slovakia and, and Poland and so on, that was an issue because the domestic political circumstances were not in favor of retaining those reforms, but new governments came to power and, and they were keen to gain political control of the administration and they were doing away with uh, rules and regulations that uh, would restrict their, you know, ability to, to control uh, recruitment, selection, and promotions, yeah, and transfers. So, and if you compare this to Estonia and, and Latvia, initially Lithuania, um, it's different there because in Estonia, for instance, you have had center-right coalitions of various combinations in power ever since what the mid '90s. Yeah. So, so even though you have maybe governments that change and prime ministers that change, yeah, but you have at least uh, the same ideological stripe. Uh, running through those kind of coalitions. And this, of course, meant there was much less pressure to politicize mm -hmm. the administration. Yeah. And so, and in Lithuania, I think initially you had the same situation, um, but then political changes started to kick in a little bit later, um, or the alternations between left and right again, or between different blocks, you could say. And at that time, however, I mean, it's, it's maybe something for really good future research, but I, I think it's quite evident that in Lithuania, the institutions were more entrenched at the time, political alternations um, uh -huh. this is, this is more a, frequent. Exactly what I wanted to, to ask you. So basically, we're speaking here uh, about how local political dynamics and changing yeah. governments and their orientation affects <laughs> right, continu continuity, basically, of the civil service reform. An example, yeah. uh, as an example, Estonia, uh, had this, uh, let's say, uh, uh, 
governments that did not interfere right into the uh, civil service in a, in a bad way right mm -hmm. so basically they kept their hands off right mm -hmm. and uh, so the reform could continue on the other hand we have the example again i think you mentioned estonia and lithuania how institutions were in entrenched mm -hmm. okay so basically bulletproof to any undue political interference which all which everything i mean everything that, that we just said brings us down to the point that uh, the uh, of the importance of the local actors right and local dynamics and in the western balkans uh, it seems that uh, since the reforms started, as you explained at the beginning, uh, the only thing basically that pushed these reforms to a great extent was the external conditionality. So the specifically EU, the EU accession process. So uh, what is your position on this? And how, how do you think uh, this conditionality that is external interplays with the uh, internal factors such as uh, mm -hmm local politics or uh, um, how strong institutions are. Yeah, great. Okay, let me go uh, step by step here. So I think um, Estonia and political interference, I mean, in from a comparative point of view, the civil service is fairly depoliticized and uh, even at the very top interference is quite uh, limited really, right? But of course, I mean, some of my colleagues are, are you know, have um, probably more first-hand uh, insights there as well, and clearly point out that ministers, you know, try to interfere there as well. But compared to other countries, it's often really limited at the to the very top. Yeah, I think that's important. Estonia is a small country. Uh, in some of the comparative research we could see is that nepotism is an issue, right? Because everybody knows everybody in Estonia. So you have nepotism, you know, really across the, the ranks. Is that a problem there? I mean, well, it seems that, um, you know, Maybe it is, right? I mean, we don't really know probably how big the problem is, but Estonia is a small country and we have many of them in the Balkans too, right? So, so much about the Estonian issue there. Um, you, you said something about Lithuania and the entrenchment of institutions and that they have become bulletproof. I mean, definitely they have not become bulletproof, right? So okay. I think that is definitely not the case. But, um, and, and I can't really give you a good answer to that. And I think, you know, we don't have a good answer in, in, um, from the research side either there. But there is something about the fact that the institutions that were built during the period of pre-accession, they at least were given an opportunity to, to be built up, you know, I mean, to build mm -hmm. up capacity for implementation and to persist for a longer period of time than in, let's say, Slovakia or, or Poland. And, uh, and that seems to have led to a situation where, you know, political and bureaucratic actors seem to have recognized the benefits of having you know, uh, somewhat more functioning and professional civil service in place. And that might, you know, leads to later, greater degree of acceptance um, of, of these kinds of professional civil service institutions. And that might have, uh, um, you know, at least reduced the kind of temptation among the, you know, new political leaders after Under major changes understood. to change much, you know? Understood. So, and if we, and, and we, if we, let's say, uh, agree for the point, for the yeah. sake of this conversation, that, that the reforms were, let's say, uh, incentivized by the uh, EU conditionality, yeah. does that make uh, administration in the Western Balkans uh, less prone or vulnerable to reform reversal yeah. and slowing down or not? Yeah. Just yeah, so and that brings us to the to the Balkans, right? I mean, where you said um, it's all in really has been the 
the result of EU conditionality. I mean, I think I'm just um, bringing this as as, a, as an issue. Maybe yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not all the result of the conditionality. I think it's quite clear that um, if you go back to the 2000s, of course, condition. I mean, the prospect of EU accession was essential for the reforms to take place in the first place. Yeah, um, the incremental progress we have seen over the last few years, you know, was significantly um, uh, to a significant extent the result of the EU providing guidance. Yeah, I mean, new prospects and and also in terms of clearer guidance. If you think about the Sigma principles. Um, and, and the kind of the work that RESPA is doing there as well. So, I mean, and, and, but I gave you the Albanian example, right? So I think if you, if you look at the efforts that have been made in, in Albania, I mean, yes, their European principles have been important, uh, EC support and prospects have been important, but there it's, it's, I mean, I would actually say there it's quite homegrown. As well. There's been a lot of a lot of effort internally, you know. Um, if you look at Serbia, Montenegro, I think the role of the European Commission, um, the role of Sigma, is probably more important. I mean, I, I'm not sure how much would have happened in Serbia with this uh, regulatory reform gap, right? The lack of exams, um, if uh, the EC and Sigma had not been a bit if more. There was proactive. no external push. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and then you need to bear in mind, I mean, I think it was the GIZ that was the main partner for their development of this policy. So there has been, I think they have been extremely important. It's been a very important opportunity to learn. Yeah. So and I think this this learning aspect is quite important. It's maybe often underappreciated. So you have different layers of shall we call it influence or support. So here we have the EC, you know, providing the overall prospect and, you know, putting things onto the agenda. Here's Sigma mm -hmm. assessing, providing pretty clear guidelines for how we want this professional civil service to look like and, and assessing and, and, and providing um, uh, support and opinions on legislation and, and reforms. But I think RESPA plays an important role in, in diffusing good practices across the region. Yeah, I mean, having all these workshops, having having uh, these these papers on what works and so on. I think that's very important in bringing the countries together so that they can learn from each other because they have a lot to learn from each other. Yeah, they, they come from a similar background and they face similar challenges. So I think this kind of learning really helps to uh, um, improve, especially, you know, when it comes to issues like implementation capacity. Um, and then you have other actors like the GIZ or so, who I think play yes, a, a very important role, right? So this means, I think, um, I think going forward, uh, but that you, you obviously compared to the new member states, it's very important that the EU and Sigma um, stay, um, you know, stay involved, right? I mean, that they don't drop out, okay? Because the political context is probably not really favorable for sustainability. Yes, understood. Well, actually, the time runs pretty fast uh, in this conversation. I have, I have to say, unfortunately, we have to close soon. But uh, is there uh, anything else that you might want to add or say to this topic that we did not mention or I did not mention yeah. and you think uh, it's relevant? Please feel free. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, talking about the EU Sigma RESPA, I think that's important, the importance of, um, you know, the civil, uh, civil service management authorities and how they they um, how much they can actually do by themselves. We talked about the political context quite a bit, um, but I think a couple of issues we didn't really mention. One is the role of the economy. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think, um, and the other one is the role of civil society. And if I just get a couple of minutes for that. So, I mean, um, uh, in terms of the economy, yeah, it's, it's clear that um, uh, private sector 
economic development is probably very important because it means that businesses um, generate demands and, and place them onto the administration. And that's often missing in the region, right? Um, so that economic development is probably quite important. The other is the role of civil society, and that's you, of course, um, yes. which in the, in the new member states, I think, played a relatively small role. But um, I think they can play an important role in terms of monitoring, assessing, and again, um, like Weber does. Yes, absolutely. And, and creating demand by, you know, just uh, um, understanding what citizens want. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, voicing citizen demand for better public administration. And I think and this is probably your task. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's exactly. probably an opportunity to to uh, for, for a push from yeah. below. Citizen demands and concerns, and this is something that we uh, want to additionally highlight in this Weber 2.0 project to, to upgrade, to take more of what citizens think and feel and uh, try to communicate that to the policy level. But uh, thank you, Jan. I think that this uh, rounds it up nicely for the, for the purpose of uh, this conversation. And uh, I'm pretty sure that based on what we talked about here, there will be a plenty of opportunity to discuss again these issues and to see uh, how, uh, how far we come, right? In, the, in some future uh, period, I just want to remind our listeners very shortly that uh, new uh, Weber Power Monitor for 2019-2020 uh, is out. It's a report uh, produced by uh, Think for Europe uh, network, where there are a lot of uh, plenty of findings on public administration uh, reform in the entire region. You can find these reports at www.par-monitor.org. But also, um, if you're interested in the uh, plenty of academic and policy resources on civil service that Professor Mayor Saling has produced, you can uh, visit his website at uh, mayor-saling.net. So uh, Jan, uh, thank you really once again for uh, joining us for this, uh, for this uh, episode. And uh, until the next time, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much.